You're listening to the LaunchCast, your favorite podcast on the planet, brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. We're talking leadership, business, life, and growth right now as the countdown starts. It's like food for your ears. Hey, hey, guys, George here. Just wanted to let you know that we did have some technical difficulties during this episode. You will hear our guest audio echoing just a tiny bit. I promise you it will not affect your listening experience, so please bear with us just for this one episode. And if you can't bear with us, go on ahead and listen to another episode or listen to another show that comes from Launchpad 516 Studios, and we'll do better next time, guys. We promise. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two, one. Woo! Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the launch cast. Episode 316, I got goosebumps onto my sweatshirt. You know what we got going on here. We are back for another episode. I am not in my studio today. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But we got an interview, like I promised you, and we're going to talk leadership. But first, it's the launch dad himself, George Andriopoulos, bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet. Leadership, business, life, growth right now as the beat drops all right we're working on our tech guys i am i'm in a different setup here i'm at my home studio and i haven't used this in a number of months since we came back to the office and opened up the the launchpad 516 studios again uh but here we are at the home, the home studio, make and do. This is why I'm here today. So my son's having a, a little procedure tomorrow, not a huge deal, uh, but we're home doing some prep today, and I wanted to spend that time with him. He's upstairs. He built a fort while he's drinking this like horrible, horrible, disgusting garbage uh, to prep for his uh, for his little procedure tomorrow. So we're gonna wish him well. Uh, the launch lad, as he calls himself. Um, but yeah, that's why we're home today. Uh, some cool stuff going on. We have one of our uh, our new podcasts, right, for under the Launchpad 516 Studios banner uh, is finally on board, and we're going to be launching a new episode within the next couple of weeks. Sounds like autism. So shout out to Josh Mursky and Dave Thompson, my boys. Uh, from the Nicholas Center and uh, Spectrum Designs. Uh, also, Dave Thompson, of course, my co-host on Over My Dad podcast. Uh, we are launching SLA, new episode coming within the next week or two. I'll have an exact date soon. We'll announce it on all our social media. Uh, Discriminology, another podcast coming to Launchpad 516 Studios, launching, I believe, March 21st is the date. Episode 1 of their new season drops and it is fire. I can't wait for you guys to join us on that. So thanks for supporting the new podcast production company and everything we do. Um, our, our listens have been insane. The Spreading Happiness podcast with John and Mark Cronin has been doing awesome. So I, I can't thank you guys enough for everything you do. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about some leadership here. Let me do the bio. 
Let me do the bio here before I bring my guest on screen. Our guest this week, David Dressler. His philosophy is simple. Happier at work is happier at home. And happier at home is happier at work. I can attest to this. I can't wait to talk about this with with David. He loves helping founders and execs thoughtfully scale their brands while also scaling their lives. Before launching Quiet Advisory, he co-founded and scaled Tender Greens, an LA-based purpose-driven fast casual restaurant group. Uh, he grew up from he grew it from inception to 30 restaurants and a hundred million dollars in revenue. In 2014, Condi Nast named him named them one of the best restaurant chains in the world. In 2015, Forbes listed them among the 25 most innovative consumer brands. There's so much more to the bio. I'm going to put the rest of the bio in the show notes. I don't want to waste any more time. I'm going to bring them on screen. Well done. And get my tech going here. I miss my audio board that's in the office right now. I'm just going to say that. There he is. David, how are you, buddy? Hey, George. Great. <laughs> it's good to awesome. Have you. Yeah, thank you, man. Good to have you here. Thank you for dealing with all our technical bullshit that we're going through today. <laughs> it it's is really fun to watch you do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you saw the sausage being made. Right? I just realized that we had our LaunchCast Reboots logo instead of the LaunchCast one. This is all going to get fixed in post-production, so I'm sure you guys won't hear half of this, but it's good to know that this is what happens behind the scenes. Uh, so, David, thank you so much for joining us. I want to dive right in with the first question that we always ask of our guests. David, are you a leader? No, no doubt. Yeah, so um, talk to me about that. Talk to me about your definition of leadership. Sure. So... so um, I've always, always felt, felt like, like um, if, 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 if not, not me, then who? And, and so, so I've had this sense of, well, I need, I need to step up. up. But, but also, um, I, think I think I'm a natural teacher. teacher. And, and so leading an enterprise, leading an event, leading anything is just really about uh, stepping up and providing uh, direction and heart and context and giving people uh, a sense of uh, what they're going for. And... Um, when uh, when we create a, a business that we're going to lead, when I create a business I'm going to lead, I think about the culture as being um, a series of reflection of intentions supported by action. And for me, it's like, okay, so what do we want to do here and how are we going to be while we're doing it? And I want to be the example of that because I want, it to, I want whatever I do to be an authentic uh, expression of who I am. Yeah, and, and I kind of see, I, I know uh, that one of the topics we're going to talk about today is workplace culture, uh, and that's something that's important to you. And I kind of see, based on your definition of leadership, that uh, culture is really everything. Talk to me a little bit about culture and how that, uh, how being a leader um, can build a, a workplace culture that is not only conducive to having a happy work life, but also a successful business. So... Um... We, we all know that, that uh, people would rather work someplace that feels good than it feels bad. And um, I've worked for a bunch of people that I uh, learned a lot from, but mostly I learned what not to do. I worked in a lot of places where I wasn't valued. Um, and then I worked for some amazing teachers who showed me uh, what it felt like to be uh, valued and important. And, and also to make a contribution on a team that felt fun and alive and exciting. And that's what I wanted for my company when I went out on my own. When I got courageous enough with my partners to jump ship and go after it. And honestly, um, George, we, 
we, we found, found ourselves like in, in over our heads, heads working super hard, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And we, and we had, had a lot of young, young people from, uh, from Venice High, High working on our, our initial team. And, and some, some of these kids didn't have dads at home, so some of them didn't have moms at home, some of them were raised by their, by their grandparents. And they, they needed, as, as we found out, somebody to look up to. And it, it felt really good. And sure, it was, like, it was a pain in the butt sometimes. But, but, but being, being a dad before I was a dad, a dad having my own children, and uh, being a dad at work allowed me to uh, really sink, sink into the idea that being a boss, being a leader, is kind of like being a parent. And we, we can teach them lessons, we can hold them accountable, we can give them a ton of love, and the more love we give them, the, the more they respond, the more they're loyal to feeling like a, like a family. And I don't, I don't espouse the idea that a company, a business is like a family, because I think it's hard to hold that level of accountability. Um, on family members because there's that unconditional love, but that unconditional love is really, really important to a team performing at its highest. Yeah, well, so you touch on a few things that are so interesting. I want to get back to the whole uh, relationship as a dad and how that's uh, how that has had an effect on your leadership uh, skill set. Um, but I, I totally get where you're coming from there. For me, and we've talked about this on the show ad nauseum. My whole journey to uh, to where I am today and and the rise and fall and rise again. Um, that rise again happened because there were certain aspects of being a leader, being a leader in my company, being a leader in the community that I had to learn from fatherhood and, and taking that thoughtful approach to leadership for me was so important to the genesis of my process, right? Because my process years ago was so different than it is now. And there's a much more thoughtful approach now. There's a, a, a humanistic approach um, that wasn't there for me before. So I completely get where you come from, even though that boundary of you can't treat work like family because there are, there's a whole other uh, heap of problems that come with that. Um, but there is a, a work family aspect of things that is, is super important um, to, to building a successful culture and, and to building people. I love, I love your definition of leadership because for me, um, I'll stand up, I'll do it. I'll, that, that's my definition of leadership. Just that person that's willing to raise their hand and say, I'll do it, I'll help, I'll, I'll, whatever whatever it takes. So I, I think we're very much in line with that. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit and then I, I want to go back to the dad stuff later because that's so important to me. Um, talk to me about how you got your start in hospitality. Sure. Um, my, my, parents, uh, my parents split up when I was three. Uh, I lived with my mom. Um, as, As a little, little kid, kid, my mom worked three jobs, and when uh, summer happened, those three, three jobs didn't stop because I was out of school. So uh, my aunt and uncle had a hotel in the Adirondacks, and um, I got on a Greyhound bus. I was seven. Uh, bus driver's name was Buzz. He dropped me off three minutes away from the hotel, and I would go and spend my summers there helping out. And you know, I Rent out the paddle boats and the canoes, and I pour coffee and I carry suitcases and I set up tea. And uh, you know, my days were spent doing that stuff. And I also get to go water skiing and I get to uh, go off on nature trails. And but you know, I, I, I worked my summers um, for, for the family and got money put in my savings account for it. And um, 
And, and so, so hospitality, hospitality was, was those, those summers, summers uh, spent helping out. And um, while that wasn't, wasn't like, like going to summer camp, camp it, it was um, it, it was, was early training in work ethic. ethic. It, it was early training in putting yourself forward for, to, to help out the people, people that were staying in the hotel. And and, um, and, and I, I love my summers there, there to the, the extent that. that um, you know, you know, it's, it's easy, easy to hate having to work, work. But, but if, if I, I look back on it objectively, I learned a lot, and I got to be in a beautiful part of the world, and um, and I got to run around when I wasn't doing stuff for people. Yeah, love that. Um, and so, you know, the, you start working summers in hospitality, and then uh, there's a whole time period between then and you going out on your own. What did that look like? So... Um, I went, I went and got, got uh, schooled in Switzerland, uh, went to hospitality management school in Lausanne. Uh, I got a degree there, and um, there I had to do a series of internships every six months. Um, one of them landed me out in California at Hyatt. I went through their management training program, had a blast, then uh, went back and finished school, joined Four Seasons, worked for Four Seasons Hotels, really cut my teeth there, was sort of their poster child for career advancement. Uh, worked like seven cities in seven years, um, traveling all over the place with nothing in my fridge but a you know, six-pack of beer and some glasses and mayonnaise for tuna fish sandwiches. Um, uh, built my career there, but also started to feel that itch of uh, I don't think that I see anybody up the food chain that I, not that I don't admire or respect, but that I want to I want, I want to be that. that. Sure. I want, I want to be that. that. So, so, it's, so, so that itch started to percolate in me and it grew and grew. And then I, I ended up uh, at Shutters on the Beach, which is a beautiful luxury hotel in Santa Monica. And I met my two partners there. And we were all within six months of age of each other, all feeling that same itch. And I think individually, we wouldn't have the courage to jump. But collectively, we started talking about the fact that it was time for us to take matters, matters into our own hands, to go out for our own destiny. destiny. And we started working on a plan, and, um, and we did it. We, um, we worked uh, until it was time to raise money. We developed a business plan. We got our ducks in a row, and then we went out and raised money. I jumped ship. I, uh, I left an executive role at that hotel to go and serve people at the pool at the Peninsula Hotel, which is a very fancy spot in Beverly Hills. Uh, because, because that would give me a cash job where I could just, just barely pay sure. my mortgage, sure. but I had 16 hours a day returned to me to, uh, to raise money for our project. It took a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. I thought I'd be there for the summer and then I'd, you know, I'd go off on our merry way. Come, Come the fall, it's getting cold at the pool. Uh, nobody's hanging out there, ordering bottles of champagne. I transferred to the dining room. I was there for two years. And, um, and, and it was a long slog, but we raised the money and we opened our first restaurant. Yeah. Um, and it was amazing. Yeah. So, so uh, in, in going into your own venture at that point, is that, did you build that same type of culture that, that you build now initially, or was that a, a process to kind of get to that point? Cause I know you, you build that special love based culture uh, at your company. Was that a thought initially or, or what did it take to get there? George, George, I, you know, I told you we had all these high school students working for us. And, and so um, I, I think, think just 
generally speaking, I'm a pretty heart-centered dude, and my partners were similar, and um, we wanted it to be a fun place. It was a pressure cooker on the spot. It's, you know, in, in, in restaurant parlance, it's 1,700 square feet doing $6 million revenue. It was a, a, a barn burner of a, of a restaurant, and an intense place to work, and so we needed it to, to be fun also. But what we found was that we fell in love with the people that we were working with, and they were falling in love with us too, because we were more than just the people telling them what to do. We cared for the fact that um, things weren't going well at home or that they were managing three different jobs. And in LA, that's not a common food service to work an early morning shift, then bus across town to get to another one and then get to another one. And that's hard. That's a really hard life. So um, um, caring for what happens to our team members when they're on our clock or when they're on somebody else's um, just, just seemed like, like the right, right way to be a natural expression of who we are uh, as people. Love that. Love that. So in building that culture and running this business, you know, we, we all, uh, well, those of us who are entrepreneurs out there, which I, a lot of our listeners are, uh, we know the struggle and there's ups and downs in this whole process. Um, what was it like trying to maintain the, the culture and the, and the vibe that you had at your business through the ups and downs uh, across the years? I think, I think um, the, the, there's, there's no, no doubt, doubt that there's, there's uh, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle. Uh, it's, it's easy, easy when, when things are going well, well. And, and, and when, when it's, it's challenging, like, like in, in, in 2008, we went through, you know, arguably a very, very significant economic downturn. And, and, and we, we just loved the hell out of people, people even more because whereas our restaurant, uh, our restaurants were booming because of a value proposition, other places where they were working were cutting shifts. Yeah. And, and so um, whether it's uh, a new labor law that makes it harder for business to, um, to conduct or um, whether it's just labor shortage or whether it's business cycles, um, we just, we just always turn to our people and say, how, how can we work together to make, make this great? great? How can we, how can we keep it special? What do you need? And invariably what we found is, um, I, I go, go by the maximum. If you want, want to build a better room, ask the guy that sweeps the floor. And so, um, for us, we were always trying to make sure we touch base with the people that were actually doing the hard work to figure out how to do it together. And they gave us a lot of our answers. Yeah. Love that. Um, and answers you had, <laughs> uh, I, and I see that in your book, uh, 10-Year Plan. You and your co-founder, uh, Eric Oberholzer, wrote the 10-Year Plan, uh, how the founders of 10 Degrees scaled their heart-centered brand. What made you, after all this, want to write a book? Um, two, two things. Not in any particular order, order but um, the, the first, first was to actually, actually sit down with Eric, Eric and relive it. You know, you know when, when, when you're building a business, it's a breakneck speed, it's intense. Um, we, we had tremendous success. We also had our fair share of hardships. We made our fair share of mistakes. Um, but, but to come back together a few years removed and look back at the story was an awesome experience, really cathartic for Eric and I to 
celebrate our wins, wins to limit some of our regrets, to reach out to see people we had talked to in a while, to feel into the fact that we created a hundred million dollar business in, in a industry with a 95% failure rate, uh, that we grew in good times and bad, that we uh, did stuff that we've never done before. You know, there's no real manual for building a business. A lot of it's just uh, ready, ready, fire, aim. aim. And, and, and yeah, we managed to do it. And so, so it was a chance for us to celebrate and to um, uh, take, take stock. And then secondly, we had great mentors who, uh, as we like to say, could see around the corners uh, for us. And our story is, um, it's, it's a good, solid story, and we, we made a bunch of mistakes, and it's great to be able to share those honestly and openly uh, for entrepreneurs, both in the food space, as a gift to them, and in any industry where leaders, either founders or execs, want to build purpose-driven enterprise. That's, That's important, important to us to, to give something of, of value and use to people who are doing what we did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I want to shift topics for a minute. I know we, we touched on this a little bit before. Um, been married for over 20 years, uh, two amazing kids. Um, what has marriage, what has fatherhood taught you about leadership, about life, about your business? Well, I think one of the most important things is that um, um, I was a, workaholic for sure. Uh, when I was in the hotel business, I put that before everything. And um, my wife, who was not my wife at the time, but my girlfriend, uh, finally came to me and said, you know, you're reminding a lot of my dad, who was also a workaholic. And um, I think if we don't get some help, I'm going to do the same thing that my mom did. And I don't want to do that. So unless you're willing to get some help around this, I'm not willing to stay, which was for, for me, me uh, in, in the beginning, beginning like, yeah, yeah well, you, you don't understand what I'm up against, you don't understand, understand the responsibilities that I have, and I'm trying to provide, I'm trying to build something. But, but after a couple months of therapy, therapy, I realized, wow, man, I don't, I don't have any hobbies, I don't really have any friends, just take out. All I do is, is work, work and do laundry, laundry, and that's not life. So, so I owe it to her um, for, for setting me straight that there could be more to life than work. And and, and then, um, so that's, that's that, and then that set, set me on a path of uh, spiritual learning, of tool crafting, of uh, best, best practice laying down to, to, to not only um, balance my own life, but, but to bring, bring that into the culture of, of our business, that we didn't want our, our chefs working more than 50 hours a week. We, we didn't, didn't want, want them to be working every night. We didn't want them to work every weekend. We didn't want them to miss every game and every fun activity that their kids were doing. We wanted them to have it all. So that that's one big piece. Um, I kind of came to parenting backwards, as I said, because I was I kind of saw my role as, as a boss, as kind of a parent. But you never know what it's like to be a dad until you're a dad. And, uh, and that just deepened my feeling of... of love, heart-centeredness, the ability to bring that to work, and also to kind of bring the two places together. As you said earlier, George, like there is no real dividing line in an authentic person between work 
and life, life it all kind of comes, comes together. together. And the best, best way that, that comes, comes together is as like a fully expressed individual, I'm not one way at work and I'm not one way at home. It's just kind of like this guy. And that feels really good. I love that. I love that. We, we talk about this on this show so much. So, um, it's something that I call a balance phenomenon. Uh, and, and for me, oh man, you just, you put it so succinctly, <laughs> David, uh, for me, when I figured my shit out, um, was when that balance came into play. It's like, yeah, you're trying to be one person at home and, and one person at work and one person with your friends, one person in the community. And it's like, it's a lot, it's a lot to sort of juggle and, uh, and shifting and it causes this really like an identity crisis as a leader um, because you're constantly shifting and changing who you are. And for me, you know, I, I had just a, a major fall in my life. And when I recovered from that and rebuilt and decided that I was going to focus on being a dad and build my life from there and then work came back into play and building everything around it. Um, I don't know. There was this organic effort that was put in. It was just like, okay, I guess this is finally George, you know, like this is who this guy is. And so it became very effortless to share that guy with everybody else. And so people knew who I was, my boundaries, my non-negotiables, my, um, you know, as I was building my business, like I, my priority was to, I was a divorced father of two. And my priority was to be the kid's class dad and and coach and to go on every field trip and to be there every second of my kids' lives. And then work came into play. So if a meeting happened to come up during that time, nope, sorry, can't take it. You know, and and work people started to realize that that was a boundary of mine and everybody at home realized. And it's sort of just my life built around that. And it created this balance where it was like, yeah, now all of a sudden expectations are there and people understand and 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 everything builds around it and you have this beautiful life where you're kind of like, oh shit, is this all it took? Like just to be honest with people about who I am and what I need and, and whatever. So I, I love that you said that. That was it was truly like the, the definition of the balance phenomenon here. I love that. Um we'll be right back after these quick words. This is John and Mark Cronin from John's Crazy Socks. And we're interrupting to say we hope you're enjoying this episode. But please make sure to check out our show, The Spreading Happiness Podcast, another great show produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes are available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Join us on our new podcast as we continue our mission, Spreading Happiness. Thank you, folks. You mentioned uh, uh, the food industry a lot and, and limiting hours of chefs. Um, let's talk for a minute about, because this is something that intrigues me. We've had a number of uh, chefs on this show as guests, and I have some close personal friends. We've had uh, Chef Allison Fasano on here. We've had Chef Mark Bynum. Uh, both have done stuff on the Food Network, on all those shows. Um, we've had some major conversations surrounding mental health in the food industry. Um and how difficult it is based on the culture, based on uh, what's needed of them as chefs, based on 
when they become entrepreneurs, how much their role shifts and the pressure on them. Can you talk about that a little bit and what you've seen? Sure. Um, can, can I, can I, can I tell, tell you one, one more thing, thing that you made me think of? Before yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, you know um, that, that whole idea of, of two, two distinct people, one at work and one at home, um, allows for uh, you, you to deliver your very best. best. We, we deliver our very best of one half of ourselves at one place and the very best of another side of us at the other place. But inversely, they never get the full benefit of us. Yeah. And so I love that uh, what you said, because what it does for me is, is okay, I get to give the best of me wherever I show up. Yeah. Not just half of the best of me. Yeah. And then as for, um, as for, Workplace uh, sanity and um, and, and sort of mental health and, and that uh, no, no doubt, doubt it's a hard business. business. Uh, it's a hard business for, for the reasons that I mentioned: the, the long hours, the, the intense environment, the lack of margin that, that it, you know makes it so that you're always doing way more with way less. Uh, it's a tough business, and so. Um, what, what I, I like to say is, is um, we, we have, have to have empathy. We have, we have to have a fierce amount of empathy for everybody that's on our team and for ourselves that's working on our hard business. And I think uh, COVID has probably taught other leaders who are listening who are not in the food space that it's hard to be a leader. It's hard to be a business. There's just so much going on at us. We're, we're pretty fragile. And so, one, leave with empathy. Uh, two, ask, ask a lot of questions and stay connected. And and and, and three, um, give. give give in a way that allows uh, people to feel like uh, they're cared for. Um, because sometimes all all a person needs is somebody to talk to for a second. We get so busy. Um, we get so busy and wrapped up in getting to the next place or just getting through the week or dealing with the staffing shortages that we're running past each other. And we need to be able to look into each other's eyes and say, hey, dude, what's going on with you? Because you seem to have lost your sparkle. How can I help? What's happening for you right now? And sometimes that's all they need. You know, they got a sick kid at home. They haven't been giving their best to their marriage. They mom's in the hospital who the hell knows what's going on yeah but there's typically an answer and it's one of two things either something's going on at life that's weighing them down and they need something around that or something has changed at work and they don't know how to tell you yeah yeah uh it's it's incredibly insightful and thoughtful to operate a business like that and it's it's tough uh, that, that's not the easiest thing to do. And, and entrepreneurs out there should know that it's, it's not so formulaic to be able to jump in a business and be as enlightened as, as David is right now. I mean, it comes with trial and error. Uh, it comes with making mistakes. I mean, I know for me, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm educated in a formal way, but my biggest education came from all my failures in, in business and in life. 
uh, in general. And it taught me how to be a more thoughtful person. It taught me how to share my experiences with others. And then that was the key to my leadership in, in particular, and that all leaders are, are different and operate in a different way. But um, it's like we said in the bio, you know, happy, uh, if you're happy at work, you're happy at life. If you're happy at life, you're happy at work. Uh, and, and people that can create those kind of environments, if you are able to, if you have the resources to, um, your culture is going to be great. So I, I love everything you bring to the table, man. Um, before we start wrapping up, just a couple more questions, and then we'll move on to the big three. Uh, so, you know, you built this incredible brand, uh, but you did eventually walk away and, and, and move on. What was the reasoning behind uh, walking away? So, um, I, I built, built this, this brand and loved about every minute of it, you know, you know objectively, objectively speaking, looking, looking back, um, there's, there's a point, point at which the business started to get really big or we 50 people at the home office, 1700 team members. We had hired, I had replaced myself out of my own job a number of times to professionalize the C-suite, so to speak. Yep. Um, and, and so when I hired our CEO to replace me, um, you know, I was, I was magnanimous about it. Now I'm going to just devote myself to culture and she's going to take the, realm, the reins and she's going to run the company. And I even I gave her my office and I said, go at it. And then I loved the person that I hired as, as my replacement. And so um, I did that. And, and then, then I started, started seeing her do her, her job, job, which was having meetings with my team in, in my office, office with the door closed. And then there were glass windows and a glass door, and I could see it all happening, but I wasn't invited. <laughs> and, and that was hard, and um, harder than I thought it was going to be. And uh, and, I and I talked to her about it. And she she did something that was, uh, this is Danielle Bruno, she, she did something Really, really great. She gave me an amazing, amazing gift, which was this. She said, I could never have done what you did. I could never have built this business from scratch. And what I'm doing now is my skill set. It is my expertise, taking it from where you created it to, to the level that you took it to take it to the next level. So let me do it and then enjoy whatever you want to do. Yeah. And so, that was that. Um, and, and so, so that, that got, got me thinking and, and, and released me from this sense of uh, obligation that I had to protecting the culture at all costs. Because what I came to realize was that there was a deep enough bench of culture ambassadors, people who really, really imbibed it, really grokked it, really understood and, and felt the culture that I had worked so hard to create with my partners that um, they, they had it. And so, so that, that made me go, okay, then, then what? And what I thought about was what is the best part of my job now? The thing that I most love doing, what I most love doing is talking about stuff like this and helping people get unstuck from the place they're at. Yeah. And so um, I now work with uh, founders and executives who have achieved a certain level of success are the wheels are shaking a little bit, who are not quite ready to professionalize, but who are self-aware enough to know that they need a sounding board, they need a partner, they need somebody who, uh, who they can run stuff by. 
uh, who's, who's not, not their board of directors, directors who maybe uh, has the ability to see around the corners, like, like I said earlier, and who they can have as a, a helpful guide on the side. So, so I set up an advisory practice and I do that, and I also do leadership coaching, holistic leadership coaching for, for founders and executives. Love that. Love that. Before we move on to the big three, and we'll share all the links in the show notes, guys, to uh, quietadvisory.com, uh, bios on um, on David, and uh, some more fun stuff that you could find. Um, I said that we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our show. That's primarily our audience is uh, mostly made up of, of entrepreneurs. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs and executives who want to lead purpose-driven uh, enterprises. Uh, and I want to, before you answer, I want to say that, um, purpose driven is what you make of it. Right. Um, when I started my company launchpad five one six, which is an advisory company, right? We're, we're a management consulting firm. Um, but it was about, I knew what I was good at and I knew my skill set as a corporate turnaround artist and somebody that can go into a broken business and fix it. Um, but that was just this skill that I was bringing in when we gained like a modicum, a modicum of success and, and started, um, becoming bigger and having more resources. I knew that this would be empty with this whole shift in my life if I didn't have purpose behind it. And so developing that purpose, that mission statement for us, which was really to provide organizations and individuals with the tools and resources to thrive and succeed. That mission became, I don't know, just this purpose that really drove this side of me that was not activated when I was younger and and dumber, right? It was this thing of like, I had a, a greater purpose as a leader, a servant leader out there where I could help people through this business. Yes, I am making money. Of course, that, that's the whole point of this thing. I can't sustain it if I'm not making money, but if I have purpose behind what I do for a living and I can make that money so that I could sustain that and help more people while creating a life for my family, that's purpose. So I, I just, before you answer that, I just wanted to give people that definition because a lot of times people overthink things, especially some of the concepts on this show. You know, they think of leadership as this big grandiose thing when it's as easy as offering a, a helping hand to somebody, raising your hand and, uh, and saying that you'll do something. Purpose-driven businesses can be just as simple. Uh, as long as that purpose is to help somebody out there in, in some way, shape, or form, um, it doesn't mean you, know, you have to do it for free. It's a business. We get it. Uh, so I'm sorry. So uh, back to you again. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs and executives who want to lead purpose-driven enterprises? Well, I think, I think you, you, you nailed it. it. Um, first, first is figure out, out who you, you want, want to help, help. Who you, you can take, take on a ride with you, and um, and and the, and the hint that, that I would give to, to founders or business executives who want to purchase driven enterprise is take as many people on the ride with you as possible. That's, That's the, 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 the more people that are impacted positively by what you do, the higher the, the purpose. And, and so, so that's, that's one. Two, two is have a plan. plan. Uh, you know, we, we, we called, called our book 10-Year Plan. Uh, that was not just the name of our book, but it was the name of our company, TYP Restaurant Group. We started in 2004 when we incorporated the company, calling it TYP. 
that, that was a commitment that we were making to each other as founders, as co-founders, uh, to, to stand, stand for something for 10 years, years to plant, plant the flag and to go. Um, so, so develop a plan, develop the 10 year vision for the company because it, while well, it seems like a long time, particularly in today's fast business mentality, it goes by in a heartbeat. And, and so, so having a plan that is uh, driven by, um, by, by values, it is really, really important to say uh, culture strategy for lunch, but I believe that um, a strategy steeped in culture based in values really wins the day. They're both things that are equally important. So that's that. And then surround yourself by really smart people. Don't do it alone. There's people like you, George, people like me who uh, have taken the arrows and, and we, we can, can help. And uh, we, we know, know that young entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs don't, don't know everything. And, and they, they know as their business grows, grows as you go from being a chef to being a restaurant owner, things change. As you go from being a restaurant owner to an owner of five restaurants, things change. The whole skill set is constantly morphing. Get, get the help that you need. Ask a lot of questions. Don't, don't be ashamed to, 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 um, to get, get help. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Let's move on to the big three, guys. The big three from the launch cast. The big three. We're going to throw out just a couple of fun little little questions here for you, David. I want your three quick, concise answers for each one. Ready? I'm ready. ready. All right. Three favorite restaurants in the world. I got to start here. Tender greens. I got to say it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Right now, didn't I fun? Dumpling place that I love to go with my kids. kids. And, and then uh, third, Nongla. Nongla is Vietnamese. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Uh, next one. Three. This will be a little bit tougher, I think. But three biggest failures in business that you've had. I should well, say three failures or mistakes. One was uh, when, when I was, I was an executive, executive in, in the in the hotel, hotel business, business, I was in the same place that I was talking about earlier around getting help. I was uh, overwhelmed, under-inspired, and I needed help, and I didn't ask for it. So whereas I, I don't hate the outcome because the outcome forced me to move into my own power and, and start my own business, I think I could have, I think I could have done that a little bit differently if I had gotten some help. Uh, second failure was, um, uh, not, not trusting my gut. I mean, we, we talk about this in the book, but not trusting my gut when it was uh, time to move east and, and open restaurants in New York. We couldn't, we couldn't really make it pencil out. Uh, our partners really wanted us to be bold and, and open in New York, and we should have trusted our guy. It wasn't the right time or the right move, and we didn't handle it the way we should have. That's probably the second biggest failure. Um, and then the third was um, you know, uh, as things as things uh, grew and as um, as, as I brought, brought in my CEO replacement, replacement 
there were, there were times, times I think I should have spoke up more and I got, got a little quiet. quiet. I wanted to trust that things, things were happening the way they, they were supposed to. to. Um, and, and I probably, probably knew in my gut that I could have been a, a little bit more um, expressive, expressive, bold, opinionated sure. about things that I let it go. Sure. Okay. Um, three favorite things about fatherhood. Oh, wow. Um, one, one is, is just watching them do, do life and, and just sitting back and watching them figure stuff out. That's, uh, that's amazing. Two is uh, cuddles, like just uh, <laughs> happens this morning yeah. where we were all in bed together. It's the best. And, and then um, um, I, think I think third is, is um, when, when they, they triumph. triumph to just be in such total awe of their magnificence or whatever that word is, that they, you know, they just, they're their own people. They're amazing spirits. They're amazingly capable and naturally creative, resourceful and whole, and they've got it. And sometimes the best thing that I can do is just, just it's crazy, sit back. Right? It's crazy. How old are you two? Five and nine. Five and nine, yeah. So uh, it, it's funny. I have a, a, a 13 and 11-year-old, uh, and now I have an, a 19-month-old and a, and a new one coming in, in May for my second marriage. Um, it's crazy when, as they're growing up, uh, this is my, my oldest is my daughter, Mia. Uh, she's 13. She'll be 14 uh, in two months. Um you know, you see, you see these kids struggle with the same stuff you might have struggled with when you were younger, uh, and, and it's it's heartbreaking because you go, oh man, I remember going through this, and she she's like the same person, and you know, and then you worry about them, the future, and and meanwhile they're little kids, right? And you're like, what? It's silly to worry about their futures and their success and everything like that. And then you have a moment where uh, I was thinking about this the other day. It was International Women's Day, and I was doing a post on social media. And uh, I look at my, my, my oldest now who has got a starring role in her, in her school play and we just went to her uh, guidance meeting for scheduling her, her, ninth, her high school schedule, which is insane. And, and it's like humanities and honors classes and entrepreneurship and theater. And you kind of look back and you're like, wow, like I can't believe she got to this place. She's going to be just fine. You know, that, that's an amazing feeling watching those wins and accomplishments. I, I'm, I'm right with you there. I'm right with you there. Um, I'm a mush for my kids, by the way, in case you didn't notice. <laughs> um, all right. You know what? Let's end it there. That was enough of the big three. Uh, David, pleasure having you guys. Uh, we'll put the links in the show notes, quietadvisory.com. Check this company out. Uh, very different advisory firm. Very, very different, uh, 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 I guess, um, Man, I'm having a brain fart here. Uh, <laughs> very, I'm going to have to really clean this episode up. Uh, very different approach uh, to how they handle clients and, and businesses. So check out quietadvisory.com. 10-year uh, plan by David Dressler and Eric Oberholzer. Uh, I just bought it on Amazon. Two ways. I got the paperback, which I had to pay for, but on my Kindle Unlimited, I also got that. I like having both because I want my options. Um, maybe I'll even get it on my Audible account because I have 12 credits that are expiring soon. Um, but 10-year plan, how the founders of 10 Degree and Scaled Their Heart-Centered Brand. Can't wait to read that. Normally, I would read this before the interview, but 
life happens, right? So, David Dressler, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you very much. George, this is super fun. Thank yeah. you very much for having me. Awesome. Guys, uh, catch us every single Monday, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon, Google, all the places you know the deal. We'll see you next time, guys. The LaunchCast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, produced by Fabrizio Fugazi and executive produced by George Andriopoulos. Marketing and PR by Media Convergence. Theme song by Tommy Lungberg. Music and sound effects are licensed through Epidemic Sound. The LaunchCast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it, guys. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, the host at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or follow the show at The LaunchCast Show on Facebook and Instagram, or at LaunchCast Show on Twitter. Visit our website, thelaunchcast.com, and make sure to follow all the great podcasts produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. We'll see you next time, guys.